Well, hello and welcome to Money Wisdom. I'm John Stillman alongside, normally, Joel Johnson. This week's a little different. We're joined by Eric Hogarth, who is Joel's partner at Johnson Brunetti. Eric, I should say welcome to the show because it feels like it's been so long. You've been on the show before, but it's been like two years. So welcome back to the show, even though it almost feels like welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's great to be back on. I'm excited. Always a pleasure to talk with you. And of course, uh, Johnson Brunetti is the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. The team has written so many books, The Money Map, Forced to Retire. Eric, you've written a 401k book, a lot of options out there when you come in to visit with the team at Johnson Brunetti. You get a book of your own to choose from. We'll talk more about that later. But uh, Eric, let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into it. They've let you out of the financial laboratory to actually be on the air here. So no pressure. But it's a big day in the history of the Money Wisdom <laughs> Show. Let's talk about getting out of your own way, Eric, because so often people just get in their own way when it comes to their financial planning. So we're going to talk about some of the most common ways that you see people sort of tripping over themselves when it comes to their financial planning. One of those things is allowing fear or greed to cause you to buy or sell at the wrong time. And of course, we're talking about your market-based investments here. So it's it's inevitable these days to talk about the market. And the market is so high, and maybe that's hand-in-hand hand with people also love talking about the bank accounts and how they're so low. And you think about, geez, I've had this money sitting here in the bank, or we've had it, and it's just not making anything. And then you you put money in the market, and you hear about Apple stock, or the other day Walmart you know, was way up. You need to m remain realistic about what it is you're trying to accomplish and make sure that you're investing and not gambling. People ask the question of, you know, what stock should I buy today? And if it's what stock should I buy today to make money by a week from now, it's probably indicative you shouldn't be in the market at all. You know, there's a benefit to being in the market, which is ideally that long-term growth, but we all know too well the risk of keeping it all there. So remain aware that you invested in the market in the first place for growth. And if you're at a place with your positions where you've seen that growth, it's the prudent thing to do at some point to sell some of that out. Yes, you might pay some taxes, but then you retain that gain because one of the most difficult things to stomach in investing is making the right decision, buying the right investment, having it grow just to watch it go down and lose everything that you made. It's very frustrating, of course. Yeah, and I think it's tempting when you see your account, you see your 401k going up and up and up. You want to keep feasting on that risk, right? But the reality is almost counterintuitively, that's the time you need to get out. <laughs> Capture some of those gains like you said. When you also think about, you know, as you get closer and closer to retirement and ultimately into retirement, you know, people ask us that question, "Well, I've got $500,000. I've got $2 million. Is that enough money?" That's not the whole question. It's this is how much you have, and this is what you need that money to do for you in that are you investing for growth or are you thinking about income? Because in retirement planning, people are usually thinking about income and how you invest for those different things can be very different, right? So you need to be looking at, well, we know if the market's going down, you don't want to be selling, but if all your money's in growth investments and you need income and it's going down, you might be forced to sell at a time that you really don't want to be or shouldn't be doing that. 
So that's a way that a lot of people get in their own way, allowing fear or greed to cause you to buy or sell at the wrong time. Another way that people get in their own way when it comes to financial planning, Eric, is making bad investment choices, trying to save money on taxes. Nothing wrong with saving money on taxes, but you don't want to, you know, I guess the classic phrase is cut off your nose to spite your face, right? We don't want to make bad investment choices just to save on taxes. Well, and, you know, it's, it's that old phrase, it's not about what you make, it's about what you keep. So people often are looking at, now, assuming this is in a, a non-retirement account, capital gains, right? Instead of paying ordinary income tax, which we've just had a lot of changes to, what if we can get to that long-term capital gains tax rate? But that's going to take you a year. And in that year, that difference in taxes, you might lose it as a result of market downturn. So yes, be strategic and prudent from a tax perspective. And in financial planning, you need to be looking at your tax return. You, you know, whomever your advice giver is, that financial planning and investment advice is directly tied to that tax advice. So you can't make one decision without taking into consideration the other, but it's about gains and taxes. So that's exactly it, is if you get hung up too much on what the tax impact is going to be, you could hurt yourself in the long run with a loss because it's a lot better to pay taxes on a gain than option two is wait long enough that you lose all the money and you sell it having, you don't have to pay any taxes because you didn't make anything. I was talking to somebody the other day who his total portfolio was about $1.8 million and 900000 of that $1.8 million, so exactly half of it was in Apple stock. And this is Apple stock that he'd been in for years and years. Uh, so his capital gains, if he sold that Apple stock right now, he was going to owe a lot in capital gains. He's willing to just sit there and take the risk that, you know, Apple could at some point get cut in half from a stock price perspective. Uh, he's willing to take that risk simply because he doesn't want to unload any of it now and have to pay those big capital gains. That seems foolish to me for half of your portfolio to be in Apple stock uh, just because you don't want to pay taxes. Am I missing something here? No. You know, I, I agree totally with that. And it's that's a hard conversation and a hard conversation to have and, and hard advice to act on and to stomach because Apple has done phenomenal, right? But for every Apple, there's also Enron, right? The polar opposite, well, that's not going to happen to Apple. But the reality is that even if you have the absolute best stock in the world and it's done phenomenal, you have too much of it. You know, you have to, you need balance. We talk about in financial planning, diversification is a word that gets used all the time and probably overused, you know, that you don't want to carry everything you got in one bucket, right? If you had a gallon of water to live on for a week, you wouldn't keep it in one bucket. So regardless of how good that stock is, be happy that you got the gain in it. And I'm not advocating you, you sell it all at once. And I personally think Apple is a good stock to own. But once you start getting over, you know, 5% in one position, 10%, 15%, you're taking a lot of risk. And even not from just a tax perspective, you see it a lot with employees, right? And you might work for an employer where you've accumulated a lot of that employer stock. And now you got all this stock with the company that you work for. And that can be really risky. And if you do have that in your 401k, know that there's a couple of tax, they're not tricks, but things that you can take advantage of to minimize the tax impact when you do move that money out. So that's a way you can get in your own way, letting the tax tail wag the investment dog, if you will. Uh, all right. Another way that people get in their own way when it comes to financial planning, Eric, is leaving too much money in cash for too long. 
because you just procrastinated instead of actively deciding what to do with that money. You need to be thinking about what is this money for. You know, I, I just talked about diversification. Well, another term that's horribly overused when you read these articles is liquidity, right? So if you think about a 30-year-old who maybe there's a couple, they're both working, they've got little kids, and they have debt because they bought a house, they have a mortgage, and they haven't really saved a lot of money. So their biggest asset is their ability to work and earn income. Fast forward till 65, and now you don't have debt. And you probably don't have a lot of tax deductions. And you have saved that money for retirement. Think about what scenario, if you have a million dollars in an IRA or a 401k, right? It's all pre-tax. In what scenario would you draw that out and spend it all in one year, right? It, it, it'd be a horrible tragedy. The likelihood is you wouldn't do it. And what I'm getting at is, yes, you need liquidity. And 9 out of 10 people these days have more money in the bank than they need. But you also need growth for later. The reality is the first 10 to 15 years of retirement, you're probably going to spend more money. If you're going to do a big move, you know, if you're going to move out of Connecticut, as an example, to a more tax-advantaged place, you're probably going to do it in the early years of retirement, and that's going to cost some cash. But 20 years from now, 30 years from now, everything's going to cost more money. So you have to, yeah, you have to have growth. So what I'm getting at is when you look at how much money should you have in the bank, there's this famous quote uh, from John D. Rockefeller where he said, you know, he's asked the question of, you know, do you have any tips on amassing wealth? And he said, don't pay taxes on money you're not using. If you're not going to spend the money in the bank in the near term, and I'm talking the next one or two years, then you really probably shouldn't have that much there. But it's, it's an interesting conversation because there's a financial perspective of, all right, this is how much you need liquid. And a good financial planner will be able to answer that for you. And then there's the emotional side of how much do you need in the bank to be able to sleep at night? And, you know, the answer is in the middle there, perhaps. But it's a big risk of leaving too much money in the bank because it's just not going to make anything. And that does not mean that you have to put it at risk in the market to make something. It might mean giving up a little liquidity, but maybe you can afford to do that with some of the money. All right, one more thing that we'll talk about on this topic. Again, this is Money Wisdom. We're talking with Eric Hogarth, partner at Johnson Brunetti, official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. We're talking about the ways that you get in your own way when it comes to financial planning. This one, to me, Eric, is just the essence of getting in your own way. Overthinking every single decision to the point that you never make any decision at all. I know you see this a lot. The paralysis of analysis is it, you want to be prudent and, and a good way to, to combat this fear is, is to be systematic. You know, when you start thinking about, okay, I'm going to take everything that we've ever saved and I'm going to change my investment strategy to this. Well, that's daunting for anyone, regardless of, you know, whether you're the person reading the Wall Street Journal every day or you're the person that, you know, is doing a good job saving but hasn't really been overly active in investing, which is common. One step at a time. You're talking about your life savings. There's not a need to rush, but there is a need to take action, you know, to make sure that you are moving forward. And that cliched line, if you work hard for your money, it needs to work hard for you. It's not enough just to amass in cash. You need to be getting some return on that because at some point you're going to stop earning that income. And 
you need that money to work for you. So if you are someone who's really analytical in what you're doing, one step at a time, take a baby step, do something. Because if you're constantly looking at this and, and coming up with a strategy and then not doing it, just to look six months later saying, well, if I really had moved forward with that, it would have worked out really well. I mean, that's really frustrating. And you don't want to spend retirement or, or pre-retirement doing that. Well, I think it's important that people get a little bit of guidance when it comes to some of these financial decisions so that you don't get in your own way. Eric, give us the 30-second summary of what happens when somebody comes in for their money map retirement review. I think a lot of people aren't used to this idea of holistic financial planning that's also easy to understand. So just give us the short summary of what it looks like when somebody comes in to see you. So when you talk about financial planning, you're talking about investments, of course, what you've saved, the tax impact of how you're going to use that money, estate planning, you know, what's going to happen when you're gone or, or before that from a protection standpoint, and potential insurance needs. So financial planning, you look at all of that. It's not just how do you grow the money, it's how are you going to use the money? How are you going to protect the money? How are you going to ensure that, you know, as much as we hope best case scenario in life, if, if worst case scenario happens, is it going to work? And is what you think is going to happen going to happen? Or, you know, do you know how much risk you're taking? And do you know what the possible risk reward of that risk is? And also, how much you're paying for it? You know, what are the fees that you see and what are the fees that you don't see? So, you know, that conversation begins with just getting a better idea of, where you are, what your plan is, are you on the right track, are you doing the right things, or are there things that you might be able to improve or just adjust? And that doesn't necessarily mean changing investments. Maybe it's a tax thing, maybe it's a risk thing, maybe it's a cost thing, but it's, it's taking a closer look at what you're doing and what you're thinking to make sure you're on the right track. Well, if you'd like to come in for your Money Map Retirement Review, here's your chance. Reach out right now in the next 20 minutes while it's on your mind. It's so easy to put this off, but go ahead and reach out right now while it's on your mind, and let us know you'd like to come in for your Money Map Retirement Review. You don't have to have your calendar in front of you right now. You don't have to worry about gathering up your statements right now this weekend. We'll figure out those logistics later. Right now, the only thing you need to do is say, look, I need some help. I'd like to come in for your Money Map Retirement Review process. It's complimentary. You'll get a better understanding of what's going on with your money. As Eric said, understand what fees you're paying that maybe you didn't realize. Understand, are you in danger of running out of money or not? Take a look at taxes. Can you do anything from a tax planning standpoint to save you money in taxes down the road? All these things and more will be addressed when you come in for your Money Map Retirement Review. You can call or you can text. Either way, the number is the same. 800 800- 705-1232. That's 800-705-1232. Remember, when you come in for your Money Map Retirement Review, you can leave with one of the books from the library there, whether it's the Money Map or Forced to Retire or The Wealthy Think Differently. So many options that you can leave with. Reach out now. 800-705-1232. You're listening to Money Wisdom. This week, we're talking with Eric Hogarth, Certified Financial Planner and Partner at Johnson Brunetti. Eric, let's open up the mailbag and see what folks have on their minds for you. We'll start today with Mike. Mike says, my father died in his late 60s and my mother died in her early 70s. So I'm not planning to have much longevity myself. Does that mean I should start Social Security as early as I can? So we all know that Social Security... Uh, grows the benefit amount whilst in deferral. 
Now, the earliest you can trigger your Social Security is age 62, under normal circumstance. If you're you know, a widow or something like that, it's a little different. But 62 is when you can trigger that benefit. But be mindful that that's not full retirement age, and that has to do with how much of that Social Security you're going to keep relative to if you're still working. But back to Mike's question, the answer is a, is a very vague maybe. It, it comes down to what portion of your retirement income that Social Security is going to be. The 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 better job that you've done saving, right? The less you're going to rely on Social Security is a lot of times indicative that you should trigger that benefit earlier. But you do look at what you think your longevity is going to be, and you know, sadly, as Mike's parents didn't didn't live very long in retirement, maybe Mike does. You know, we want to be prepared worst case scenario and hope best case scenario, and, and you find the plan there in the middle. So there's many, many ways to trigger your Social Security benefit. One thing Mike didn't provide us with is, you know, are you married or were you married for over 10 years? Because that that creates more benefits as well in regards to a spousal benefit. You know, so the ideal is that you maximize what you're going to get out of Social Security because that benefit, let's say Mike is single, if he defers that, right, to get that annual increase, never having drawn his Social Security and tragically doesn't live that long as his parents didn't, his family doesn't get that benefit at all. You know, that goes back to the house and and that's tragic. It seems like a lot of people uh, probably put too much emphasis on how long their parents lived in terms of figuring out how long they're going to live. In fact, I was (laughs) talking to somebody last week who was talking about, well, I don't really have longevity in my family. Both my parents died in their late 60s. And as you get further into the conversation, you realize that her mom had breast cancer and died at 68. Her dad was a pilot who crashed his plane when he was 67. Neither of these things are really indicative of how long she's going to live. Those are kind of lightning strike incidents. So uh, it's not the kind of thing where you'd say, well, we don't have longevity in the family. But a lot of people just think of it that way. You know, during working years and, and retirement years, you want to balance, right? You, you certainly don't want to be the person that spent all your money. So by the time you retire, you have no money. That's bad. At the same time, the goal for most people is not to pass away with as much money in the bank as possible. You know, so you, you need to find, you know, where's the balance of we're getting some growth and we're going to be okay if we live a really long time. And I hope you do. I hope we do. Um, at the same time, are you living the life that you want right now? You know, and, and that's another thing when you're looking at what is my retirement date going to be, right? The average retirement date in the United States keeps getting older. Because people are living longer, right? And we keep having medical advances that keep people healthy or alive longer. Um, so Social Security, whether it's going to be a big part of your retirement or, or a smaller part, is still a really important part. And you get one opportunity to make that decision. So you need to make sure you're getting good advice in regards to how that fits in with the whole financial strategy you're using, which ties in you know, what you think retirement's going to look like and ultimately what you saved and what your sources of income are going to be in retirement. Let's go to Harry, who says, my daughter just turned 18 and I'd like to help her get off on the right foot with retirement savings. What's the best way to get her started? So when we look at someone who's 18, they have a high needle of liquidity, right? We're not, we're not necessarily talking about retirement planning. Um, where's Harry's daughter live? In all likelihood, maybe she lives at home, which means that maybe someday in the near future, whether it's Harry's daughter's goal or Harry's goal, she doesn't live at home. You know, maybe she wants to rent an apartment or buy a condo or a small house or something like that. Well, she's going to need money to do that. So when we look at saving, step number one, is you save up some money in the bank. Everyone's number is different. But you try and get money in the bank. 
if you're a young person, if your your car breaks or you know, you get hurt, you can't work. So you need to have that cushion because if you don't have that cushion and you have an emergency, well, you're going to create debt. And we all know how interest rates work on debt. A lot of young folks will kind of unbeknownst to them make some bad decisions in regards to credit card, whether they had to or not. And, and now 10 years later, they still have that debt and that makes things very difficult. So save money in the bank so you have a cushion. Beyond that, maybe you look at some low-cost mutual funds. Um, but remain cognizant of, of what that money's for, what that timeline is, because if you're going to spend it in the next couple of years, be real careful with that risk. And beyond that, if we are really looking at retirement planning, if you're in a scenario where you're not making that much earned income and you have a very long time until you're going to retire and use that money, the Roth is a home run. You know, think about your retirement accounts as adults, you know, retired now or approaching it. Imagine if that pre-tax 401k or IRA, imagine if all that money was after tax, was tax-free in a Roth. That's a very different picture. So, you know, one thing that retirees don't have as much of that an 18-year-old does is that time. So when you're talking retirement, you know, have some faith in the market because you're not going to touch that money till you're, you know, into your 60s. And, you know, if you're in a position to get money into a Roth, I'd strongly encourage you to look at that because it might sting a little bit now. You're not getting that tax break that, that a lot of people enjoy, but that tax-free growth is going to be wonderful years down the road. Final mailbag question for today comes to us from Gloria, who says, our house is a lot bigger than what we need now, so we should probably downsize, but it's the place where we raised our family, so I'm emotionally attached to it. Is it foolish to keep it when we could live somewhere else cheaper? So for Gloria, you have to look at what you want your retirement to be. For some people, that house is one of the most important places, and they want to stay there, and, and you make retirement work that way. Now, also look at if this is a house you lived in a long time, maybe you have no debt. Maybe you have fixed the furnace, and you did the roof, and you did the windows. What I'm getting at is maybe you've really fortified this house that it might actually be, even though it's bigger and you have to pay taxes and heating and all that, it might be a cheaper option than if you downsize. And we you know, run into this in Connecticut. You might move into a smaller house, but it might cost just as much, if not more, money. And then, okay, why'd we do that? Because when most people think downsizing, they think, I want something simpler, easier to take care of, but also cheaper, right? We want to spend less money on this. So be looking at those numbers and look at how much does it really cost you to stay in that home. And for a lot of folks, that is a big number. And you might want the flexibility of a smaller or easier place. And also, you know, maybe it makes sense. I sit with, you know, wealthy folks all the time that are selling their home and then they rent, you know, and a lot of people say, well, I would never rent. And it's, I, I, I'd encourage some of you to look at it from a perspective that, you know, renting affords you a lot of flexibility. You lock the door, you leave. If you're someone who's, I was sitting with a client yesterday and they have four kids and they live in Japan, San Diego, Miami, and Philadelphia. None of them live here. They travel all the time just seeing their kids and their grandkids. So it's, you know, why do we want this really expensive home base that we're never at? So I'd, I'd look at it from that perspective as well. But start with writing down how much does it cost us annually to keep this house? Because it might be a surprising number either in the, how low it is or, or how high it is. So many questions, and there's a reason we love doing the mailbag here on the show, is because all these questions really strike right at the heart of what we do which is helping you get prepared for retirement and making sure that retirement is everything you want it to be. As Eric just said to Gloria, you need to decide what you want your retirement to be. That's going to help answer 
the house question. So if you'd like to come in for your Money Map Retirement Review, reach out to us here in the next 10 minutes. While it's on your mind, we're not asking you to have your calendar in front of you right now. We're just saying in the next 10 minutes, reach out to us and let us know you'd like to come in for that Money Map Retirement Review. We'll actually work out the details later of when, logistically, we're going to make that happen for you. Call or text, whichever you prefer, 800-705-1232. That's 800-705-1232. If you text, just be sure to include your first and last name, but it's so important that you reach out right now while it's on your mind. We'll handle the details later. You come in for your Money Map Retirement Review. You'll leave with a copy of one of Joel Johnson's books, whether it's The Money Map or Forced to Retire, but you'll also leave with a much better understanding of what's going on with your money. What fees are you paying? Are there hidden fees you aren't aware of? Are there taxes you could save money on in the future by making changes to your portfolio right now? Are you in danger of running out of money? Or are those paychecks going to come in as long as you're alive? The Money Map Retirement Review will be very revealing for you on those fronts and many others. Again, 800-705-1232 is the number to call. That's 800-705-1232. Call or text 800-705-1232. Eric, a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. We'll do it again, same time, same place, right here next week on Money Wisdom. Investment advisory services offered through JB Capital LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance products and services are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents in all appropriate jurisdictions.